You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. As we prepare for the sermon today, we're going to read from Psalm 22. The Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, and for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering or the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise Him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and He rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before Him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. Please open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 15. The text upon which we will focus this morning will begin in verse 25 and run through verse 39. I will begin reading at verse 15 to give us the the full context of what we are going to consider. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. 
he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own, cla- his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, the place the means, that means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. And here begins our text. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine and vinegar, put it, in a, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as the evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. 
Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Indeed, all of our preaching is to center on Christ crucified. But it is not often that we give our attention directly to His crucifixion. We tend to reserve its consideration for Good Friday and perhaps at the time of the Lord's Supper. Fitting times to be sure. But it is good for us whose eternal life was purchased by His death to remember His self-sacrifice for us on the cross. If we're honest with ourselves, we must admit that we are a forgetful people, especially when it comes to the gospel, the good news, that Jesus the Christ, the incarnate Son of God, gave His life for us while we were His enemies, while we were still dead in our trespasses and sins. And He gave His life to save us certainly and completely from the wrath of God that's against our sin. Therefore, this morning we turn to the Gospel of Mark to focus on His account of Jesus on the cross. Jesus crucified. Taking up at verse 25, when it was the third hour of the day, about nine o'clock in the morning, it was then that the Roman soldiers crucified Him. Now Mark does not detail how Christ was executed, other than to say that He was crucified. He had already been tortured, we know, perhaps beaten beyond recognition, But from the third hour through the ninth hour, while Jesus was on the cross, Mark turns our attention away from Christ in His person so much as to those who had gathered around His crucifixion. What was said and what was not said. In verse 26, we are reminded of Jesus' trial before Pilate when we see the written notice of the charge against Him, the King of the Jews. In verse 27, we see that they crucified two robbers with Him, one to His right and one to His left. Indeed, as verse 28 says, the Scripture was fulfilled which says He was counted with the lawless ones. And if you look carefully in your NIV, that verse is not there. It's in a footnote. A quotation of Isaiah 53. A fitting comment to Mark's testimony. And so we pick up with Jesus on the cross, the third hour of the day. For the stage is now set for us to consider how He was ridiculed by men, forsaken by God, and recognized in death. Throughout the morning hours, from the third hour to the sixth hour, from that's from nine o'clock till noon, Jesus was ridiculed by men, a parade of men, mocking, slandering, insulting Jesus. First we meet those who pass by, people going about their normal activities in and out of the city, who happen to be walking past Golgotha. Like looky-loos on the freeway, they couldn't help themselves but slow down and, and crane their neck and look to see what all the commotion was about. Who was that on the cross? Oh, that king of the Jews. I've heard of him. And not only did they shake their heads in disgust, they went out of their way to hurl insults at him. So, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. Next, we see the chief priests and the scribes. 
the teachers of the law. They had been at Jesus' trial and they know, and they knew that this charge of claiming to destroy the temple was a trumped up charge. They knew the truth. And they knew more than that. They knew two more important things. They had heard the high priest ask him, are you the Christ? The son of the blessed one? To which Jesus answered, I am. And they accused him of blasphemy. They had heard Pilate ask him, are you the king of the Jews? To which Jesus replied, you have said so. And still they did not believe. They had plotted to destroy him from the very beginning of his ministry. And now that he was on the cross, he was as good as dead to them. They didn't even bother to speak to him at the cross. They spoke to one another. They mocked him among themselves. Of course, to be overheard. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we might see and believe. They'd seed plenty. And they'd believe none. And last we're told of those who were crucified with him. The NIV, we find Matthew calling them criminals. Mark calling them robbers. We often call them the thieves on the cross. And they were all of that, but they were much more. They were what we would today call insurgents. When we listen to the news from the Middle East, we hear of insurgents. That's what these men were. They they had waged a guerrilla war against the Roman Empire. They were led by men like Barabbas, who had been scheduled to be crucified that day. Mark described him as a rebel and a murderer. Jesus was portrayed in his execution as a would-be earthly king, elevated with his comrades in arms outside the city gates. Even though he had always made it plain that his kingdom was not of this world, they treated him as if it was. In chapter 14, verse 48, just before his arrest, at his arrest, we read that the mob arrived who arrested him and Jesus said, I, am I leading a rebellion? That you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? You see, that's how Jesus was seen and that's how he was executed. And those portrayed as, as his comrades in arms, however, unwittingly testified against this perception. Well, they themselves joined the chorus and heaped insults on him as well. Even as Jesus' body was pierced with spikes that held him to the cross, his spirit was pierced with the ridicule of men. As John says in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 of his gospel, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And as we'll soon see, Psalm 22 was on Jesus' mind as he was on the cross being ridiculed by men. In that psalm, King David gave us an inspired preview of the mind of Christ. Look again, I had you mark that in your Bibles. Look again to Psalm 22 and consider these verses, 6 through 8 in particular. Again, this is the word of David, but an inspired preview of the mind of Christ. I am a worm and not a man scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And picking up again at verse 14. I am poured out like water. 
and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it is melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me, they have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones, people stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Surrounded by this swirl of scorn, Jesus remained silent and said not a word. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And this is certainly true. And it's certainly right. But when Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly, it meant that according to God's justice, Jesus on the cross would be forsaken by God. Mark brought us into the scene of Jesus' execution so that we would hear the rabble of ridicule against him. And now that we are here, we must not breeze past the abrupt change that takes place at the sixth hour when the voices change and are silenced and the spotlight on Jesus is put out. We read in verse 33, a momentous verse. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. With these words, we arrive at a threshold that we cannot cross. For three hours, we are left laboring to see into impenetrable darkness and straining to hear against the deafening silence. These three hours of human history are forever closed to us. We cannot enter in to see or to hear what Jesus endured on the cross. Even so, when we pause to consider this inscrutable darkness, we cannot help but be troubled if we would but pause and think. It was not until the darkness lifted after three long hours and Jesus himself shattered the silence that the message of the silence is made clear. In verse 34, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With these words from Psalm 22, Jesus cried out to his God, to his Abba, to his Father, who had always heard and answered his prayers, but who was now not answering. In this Jesus' darkest hour, his Father did not rescue him. God had abandoned him, forsaken him, turned his face from him as though he had never known him. This was the darkness of God's judgment. The supreme example is recorded in Exodus chapter 10 when the God plunged all of Egypt into darkness. You know the story, children, the plagues that came on Egypt. It got dark. The darkness was so complete it could be felt. It was so thick that no one could see anyone else or go anywhere for three days. The ultimate expression is reserved for the final day, the last day, the day of judgment, when the enemies of God will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be gnashing of teeth and weeping. 
It is this very judgment that Jesus suffered on the cross. But He suffered it only for those who will trust in Him to have suffered it for them. Everyone else will be cast into this darkness on the last day forever. Jesus knew it was coming. He prayed in the garden, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And indeed, it was God's will for Jesus to drink completely to the dregs the cup of His judgment against the sins of His people and to experience in their place the unmitigated torments of hell. Separation from God the Father. In that darkness, God made Jesus on the cross to be sin for us. A curse for us. The bloody sacrifice, the propitiation that turned God's wrath to Himself and away from all who believe in His name. The ransom God Himself paid for our redemption. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His, his wounds you have been healed. William Hendrickson says that hell came to Calvary that day and Jesus descended into it to bear its horrors in the place of all who will trust in Him for it. And we confess as much in Heidelberg Catechism question and answer 44 that asks with regard to the Apostles' Creed, why is it there added? He descended into hell. We answer, in my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by His unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which He endured throughout all His sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. These inspired conclusions from Scripture and that of our catechism were not self-evident that day, People did not understand what was happening that day. According to verses 35 and 36, some standing nearby who had witnessed it all, who had seen it all, misunderstood Jesus or deliberately twisted His words. They said, listen, He's calling for Elijah. And one man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, He said. Now, given what we've seen of the people gathered around that cross today, it's hard to interpret these actions as anything else but further ridicule, a mockery. The most charitable interpretation we can put on this is that they were sincere but misplaced in their faith. They were trusting in Elijah to save, and their actions were intended to keep Jesus alive long enough that Elijah would make it there to rescue him. But in either case... They were not acting in true faith. They were not acting with right understanding. And their words and actions set up a contrast for that which follows in the rest of our Scripture this morning. The next thing we hear in verse 37 is that with a loud cry, Jesus breathed His last. Mark does not not tell us what Jesus said, if anything. 
when he cried out his last breath, he simply tells us that he died. But in a most remarkable way that led to him being recognized in his death. Crucifixion brings death slowly. Men who are being crucified gradually suffocate. Their lungs filled with fluid. Because men will fight for breath as long as they have any strength in them, crucifixion can linger for days before a man would die. According to the Apostle John, the legs of the robbers were broken that day because they wanted to accelerate their death to have them dead before the Sabbath. But we notice from, it's absent here, but in all the Gospel accounts, they did not break Jesus' legs. Because Jesus did not die like other men. Yes, He died. Don't misunderstand. He really died. And He was really buried. as testified to in the Scripture. But it was not because His life was stolen away by crucifixion. Jesus died voluntarily. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus said that this was His Father's will for Him. He said, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus had told the disciples this was coming. On at least three occasions, He taught them that He would suffer many things, that He would be rejected by the elders, the high priests, and the teachers of the law, and that He would be killed and on the third day would rise again. But they did not understand. They did not understand what He meant when He said to them in chapter 10, verse 45, that He, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve, and in a very particular way, to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew exactly what He was doing when He offered Himself voluntarily on the cross. God sent him into the world at the price, as the price that must be paid to redeem his people. And this redemption required blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But this complete redemption of all God's people, the blood and bulls of goats was not sufficient, but only the precious blood of the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's why Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on the night He was betrayed, saying, This is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. In His death on the cross, His voluntary death on the cross, Jesus Christ was recognized, He was attested to by God the Father. Through what we read in verse 38, just at the near the end of our text. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. According to the author of Hebrews, this was the inner curtain, the curtain next to the Holy of Holies that kept unholy men out except for once a year when the high priest could go in with the sacrifice of bulls and goats. Until that day on Calvary, God granted access only through the sacrifice once a year and the priest must atone for himself first his household, and for the whole community of Israel. 
But Jesus, when he died on the cross, shed his own blood as a sacrifice, not for himself, but for his people. And he offered that blood of atonement not in the temple in Jerusalem, but in the heavenly Holy of Holies before his Father. By his sacrifice of himself, Jesus Christ made perfect and complete satisfaction for sin so that God has opened the way into his presence forever. Everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ and in his blood shed for them has access to God the Father. It's what we, it's what we read from Hebrews this morning as our call to worship. It's the basis by which we come together before his throne. The curtain's no longer needed. But more than that, or at the same time as that, in his death on the cross, Jesus was also recognized, attested to, by the Gentile centurion who had orchestrated his crucifixion. We read in verse 39, And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Well, what was it that provoked this confession? All we're told is that this man who had stationed himself in front of Jesus face to face, had seen it all, responded with this confession when he heard and saw how Jesus died in this way, this voluntary way, this laying down of his own life way, a specific and unique way that he had never seen before. The centurion's confession is a high point in Mark's gospel. Mark began this gospel by telling us, the readers, that it's about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We know what it's about. But throughout the gospel, no one recognized Jesus as the Son of God. Evil spirits did. They confessed his name and Jesus told them to be quiet. The high priest asked the right question. If he's the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One, but they didn't believe his answer. His disciples had walked with him for three years and didn't understand. It was not until the death of Jesus on the cross that any man witnessed to him as the Son of God in a way that affirmed the reality, the truth. Now, whether or not his confession was one of faith, we cannot know, and it really doesn't matter. What matters is that by his testimony, he bears witness to the truth. That the man, Jesus, is the Son of God. The irony is palpable. This pagan soldier, without the benefit of a theological education like the priests and the teachers of the law, or the benefit of having spent three years with Jesus as his disciples, was the first to recognize what the Jewish leaders had denied as a blasphemy and what the disciples of Jesus had not yet understood By the manner of Jesus' death on the cross, this ordinary soldier perceived that this man, Jesus, is the Son of God. This is important for us to recognize and to be encouraged by. Recognizing Jesus is not about how smart or how well-educated you are, even in the things of the Bible. And there's no reason to believe that it would be easier to believe the gospel if only I had been there with Jesus. 
The pagan soldier testifies to us that you don't need a seminary degree to see the truth. And you don't need to have been there with Jesus in the flesh to believe. What you and I need is to believe the gospel of Christ crucified. Witnessed and set down by the apostles for us to hear and believe by the power of the Holy Spirit through the gift of faith. That's what we need. It is the death of this man, Jesus, the Son of God, His particular and unique death that we confess. His once-for-all sacrifice for the salvation of His people. It is this man, Jesus, the Son of God, who was ridiculed by men, forsaken by God, with whom we commune, with whom we are joined through faith, of whom we partake in the Lord's Supper through faith in the power of the Spirit. And this time, as in every time we consider Jesus on the cross, we are reminded that each and every one of us is a sinner who, if left to ourselves, deserves the eternal judgment of God. And we're reminded that the way of salvation required that Jesus be forsaken by God by His particular and unique death on the cross in order to satisfy God's justice so that we will never be forsaken. And we are reminded that only those who recognize that this man, Jesus, is indeed the Son of God and who trust in Him alone for salvation will indeed be saved from the wrath of God that is yet to come and will be poured out on all those who who deny they need Him and for all those who think they have a better way. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and be saved. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the apostolic witness to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, your Son, fully God and fully man. And we thank you, Father, this morning for the testimony of Mark that speaks to us the truth of the cross of Jesus. How he was ridiculed by men. How he was forsaken by you. And how it is through his death that we are to recognize that he is the one. He is the only one through whom we might be granted salvation through faith. Thank you, Father, for this good word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.